you guys did a body swap, like, you, like your minds are in each other's... That is correct. I am Spock. And I am T'Kring. Now that you know, you can likely tell the very clear differences in our mannerisms. Yeah, totally. Welcome to the General Order One podcast, where we're discussing the Star Trek Strange New Worlds. I'm joined by my longtime friends and fellow nerds, Ben. Hello. And Jason. Indeed. Today, we are discussing uh, Season 1, Episode 5, which is entitled Spock Amok. The summary of the episode I read online was, It's a comedy of manners when Spock has a personal visit in the middle of Spock and Captain Pike's crucial negotiations with an alien species. So it's a comedy of manners, I thought was an interesting phrase. So anything we need to uh, recap from the last episode before we dive right into this one? Uh, no, but I did notice that there was a recap at the start of the episode. And I, I has that happened previously? Have we had a previously on Star Trek Stranger Worlds previously? Oh, I I I just assumed we had. I guess I haven't been paying that close of attention. Jason and I are also watching Andor, and they definitely do a recap on that, so I just kind of took it for granted. Yeah, I thought they had before. It, it, yeah, it didn't surprise me, but... No, normally... Yeah, yeah, maybe I just haven't paid attention either, but I, it, it struck me that, yeah, we did kind of a recap of the season so far at the start of this episode, so... The, the one thing that I took away from the recap that will come up in this show um, is from the pilot, uh, La'an mentions that she already knew Una, and that... that Una was the reason that Laon joined Starfleet. So they were friends before this started, which comes up in this episode. Okay. Um, so the episode opens with a, uh, a Vulcan religious ceremony, and uh, they're kind of standing around in this dirt circle, I guess you could say. And uh, Spock is there and some other unknown Vulcans, and T'Pring is there in some sort of... I don't know, ceremonial dress. And, and I did note that T'Pring is looking super hot right now. Like, so this is a little out of character for her. It comes up, obviously, that this is a dream. And so this, so Spock is dreaming about his fiance. So, and, and uh, uh, you know, I'll, I'll just say this is another in a long line of scenes where we, we see that the Vulcans are very ritualistic. They have, you know, a lot of different rituals and these, you know, they're, they're, uh, you know, they're playing these bells and chimes and, uh, you know, it, it gives them kind of this rich culture, but it, it always seemed a little at odds to me with this society that's so devoted to logic that they have, you know, these very, like, I mean, they're almost, like you said, they're like a religious ceremony. Which, and I suppose which, logic is their religion, but it just it it feels a little bit of like there's a dichotomy there a little bit. I don't know. No, that's actually a good point. I didn't think about that. I mean, you know, what is the point of ritual except to reinforce your already existing beliefs? Right. Which, I mean, I would which is a kind of like it's kind of opposite of just strictly logical, strictly to the point. Yeah, I feel like these are the kind of folks who are at home on Sunday watching the game, you know, but instead they're just doing a different ritual. Yeah. I I, I take the, the Vulcans a little differently. I think they pride themselves on logic and they that's in in their culture, but you know, they struggle with it all the time and they kind of like have to focus on it. So it's not like it's like 100% they're robots. It's just that that's like something that they take pride in as a as a species. 
Yeah, um, that's a I good point. I don't know a lot of the the background of Vulcans, but um, they're definitely well, they not. They perfectly... weren't always they weren't always these slaves to logic. They were you know they were ruled by their emotions in the past. So maybe a lot of this is just tradition and and ceremony that's that survived from ancient Vulcan when they weren't so logical. Well, that, that's I mean that's where this episode opens, right? Is that so? Spock and T'Pring are essentially talking about getting engaged, and all of a sudden T'Pring notices. She points out his ears, and the camera pulls back, and you see that Spock has human ears, and and all of a sudden he uh, has to fight his human self. Right? He, what was the the ritual called? Um, uh, I don't. Re- yeah, it, it had a specific name. I don't remember, but, but it, he, it, it's a ritualistic Vulcan combat that he has to do, and he has to fight with himself. So, it, in in this, you see his Vulcan half fighting with his human half and his Vulcan or his human half half. Actually, did you guys notice that that human Spock looks almost nothing like Vulcan Spock? Like they almost look like totally different people. Well, they clearly just, yeah, they, they had him out of the makeup. So he didn't have his hair treated, you know, his hair wasn't done the same way. I mean, they, they took the actor and threw him in the scene instead of dressing him up as Spock. Yeah. I, I guess I didn't realize that there was that much difference between the actor and the the Vulcan Spock. So yeah, the difference obviously is the ears, the haircut. He doesn't have a bowl cut and, and his eyebrows are not nearly as pronounced when he right. is a human. So there's a very serious difference between the actor that plays Spock and the Vulcan Spock. There's a visible difference, I should say. Yeah. And uh, there's, there's a lot of fan service going on in this scene, which is not, it, it was welcome. I, I enjoyed it, but uh, I mean, you know, <laughs> we talked, uh, I think the, in the, our previous episode about, uh, you would ask me if I knew the episode titles or if I had to go look them up. And I insisted I'm not one of those guys that knows the title of every episode and has all of them at my fingertips. And yet here we go again. I'm going to talk about a title of an episode as if, yeah, I, I think people are, are they're restraining their credulity a little bit at this point that I'm not an <laughs> uber Star Trek nerd that has all this memorized. But uh, there is a famous episode of the original series called A Muck Time. Um I, and God, I'm, yeah, I'm not doing myself any favors here. I'm pretty just, sure it's the first. It, epi- just own it. I'm pretty sure it's the first episode of season two, um, and it deals with Spock having his pawn far and having to go back to Vulcan to marry to Pring. Uh, and there's you know hijinks ensue, and he ends up having to fight Kirk uh, in a ritualistic combat with uh, these weapons that we so. This whole scene is a callback to that original series scene, uh, including the the fight music is the same as it, it's a very famous piece of like battle music from the original series that that plays here uh, unaltered. It's the same music. So they're they're pull, pulling those nostalgia strings real, real hard here. But um, yeah. the weapons are the same. The the ceremony is pretty similar. And, yeah, we get the same pretty famous fight music that it's called um it's called Calife. do you know how i know that how do you know that um because of cable guy the movie cable guy um what? when they're at medieval times um oh yes. yeah yeah jim carrey brings brings him out on the floor and he starts like miming that music it's pretty famous it's been used in futurama hmm. um <laughs> in futurama it's the the national anthem of whatever Zoidberg's people are. I can't remember the name of that. Oh, aliens. really? That's cool. Yeah. It's like stand for our national anthem and that's the music that plays. So 
Well, I've got good news, Ben. Well, I don't know if it's good news or bad news, but uh, you are exactly right. Amok time is the season, or oh, season two, no, episode that's, one. That's so. bad news. No, I'm, just, in, just, I'm in just too deep. It. Just own uh, it. We, we've got a Star Trek podcast. There's no. There's okay. No right, yeah, I guess I should stop fronting at that point. All right. Well, it's, it's, it's clearly it's too late episode, for me. This episode's called Spock Amok, so it's clearly like yeah, they're they're oh, but yeah, yeah. This is this is definitely a a callback to that. Hundred percent. So uh, Spock basically fights his human self. Vulcan Spock fights human Spock. Uh, human Spock loses, ends up on the ground. He's just about to be killed. I, I will say as this scene was happening, you know, the main thought running through my head was this is a little on the nose, guys. Yeah. Uh, which we'll come back to later. Uh, I felt vindicated in that belief later on in the episode. So uh, right before the killing blow is going to be struck, Spock wakes up, sits up in his bed, covered in sweat. Clearly, it was all a dream. He gets out of bed, walks over to the mirror in his quarters, and, and gently runs his hands over his ears to confirm that his Vulcan ears are indeed in place. But here's here's how you know insecure our bro Spock is here. Not only does he ch- he checks both ears individually, like oh, really? just checking one like doesn't doesn't reassure him. He has to turn his head and check the other one too. So it, there's a clear theme here that runs through the episode of of Spock battling his human half. So this is just setting that up. So uh, the next scene we see the exterior of the Enterprise. And the Enterprise is at Starbase One. Uh, after the battle with the Gorn in the last episode, they, the ship was clearly pretty damaged, so they are getting some much-needed repairs. And um, Pike tells Spock that they have a diplomatic mission and that he is going to need some help. But because... Uh, so the, the, the crew is getting shore leave while the ship is uh, being repaired. T'Pring is actually visiting Starbase One because their last visit got short because Spock got called back into service as part of the pilot. Um, I did note so that they're in the they're in Spock's quarters on the on Starbase One, and T'Pring and him are you know he's he's getting some romantic he's he's going to make a romantic gesture for T'Pring, and he's setting out some wine, and he has these two wine glasses that were like kind of like this geometric glass and they were like the most funky looking and impossible to drink out of glasses. Did you yeah. guys happen to notice that? Yeah. The function, it was form over function to yeah. the nth degree with these. There's no way you could have drank out of those. I mean, they looked no. cool, but I mean, it, like, it's going to splash all over you if you yeah. try to drink out of one of these things, but so, he's very, very particular about how they're placed. Um, yes. And, and we, as the audience clearly are supposed to think, okay, dude don't be so anal about it that you know you're you're literally like getting your ruler out and measuring down to the millimeter like where these things should be played like, who cares it's wine glasses dude just set them down and it's fine mm-hmm. uh but so spoiler alert he he was wise to be that careful because it wasn't careful enough the pring shows up uh and they're having a conversation and it's uh alluded to the fact that to pring's job is that she is essentially a therapist and she rehabilitates criminals and so what she does is she uses vulcan logic to show criminals the error of their ways so her job is uh dealing with um the lower dregs of vulcan society they have a kind of a back and a back and forth and they're debating, you know, the status of their relationship because Spock got pulled away to come back on the enterprise. And 
uh, to Prang's line is she says, we must prioritize our relationship. And they kind of go back and forth. And I just put, I, my note was that Vulcans sure have a weird way of flirting with each other. I mean, because they're just so logical. It's like, all business. Like, I mean, because, I mean, isn't that essentially what flirting is, is the opposite of business? Like, it doesn't make any sense. And somehow they have to make it work. So they just have this, these weird conversations that you try and appeal to your significant other's form of logic. It's just it's right. funny. Uh, and yeah, one of the, one of the first things she does though when she enters the room is correctly position the two glasses. And yeah, right. She walks up to them like immediately and is like, "Oh no, 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 these are not placed properly," and she readjusts them. So, however careful Spock was, it wasn't careful enough. I, I don't know. To me, that seems like a red flag. Like if that's what you're worried about in your relationship, like you're going to have a lot bigger yeah, problems yikes, down the but, road. Yeah, but, right. But I think that the the sense we're supposed to get here is that that's not. To Pring's not an outlier, right? Um, this isn't to Pring as a as a drama queen who has to have her glasses placed just so. It's that Vulcans are, and he's not Vulcan enough because he didn't get the glasses positioned. The next thing we see is uh, Pike, Spock, Uhura, and Admiral Robert April in the meeting room. Uh, Admiral April was the admiral and the uh, the pilot that invi- that called them all back into duty. So original is, captain of the enterprise, right? Was this the meeting? I got the impression this was the meeting room on the enterprise, not on the star base, right? Uh, I, I, yeah, I think it was just because, you know, we just saw Spock on the enterprise. I, I didn't get a good sense of that though. It seemed like maybe it was on the, I don't know. Well, I, well, where, where Spock and T'Pring were was not on the enterprise. I know because he makes mention that those are the quarters that they gave him. Anyway, the, the reason I bring this up is because this meeting room that they're in is huge. Um, I think maybe then it's, yeah, it's supposed to be on the star base and it's kind of weirdly decorated. So I was thinking if it was on the enterprise, this is total overkill. Like that one, I think there's a sextant sitting on, you know, and yeah. a globe and a couple, and I was just like, this is, these are crazy things to have on a starship. So I'm In hoping fact, this makes, is supposed to be. Yeah. It makes sense that it's not, we'll, we'll get to the B plot later with, yes. uh, Una and, um, La'on, yeah. La'on but, uh, you know, th- their, their B plot involves the enterprise basically being deserted. So. This must be on the Starbase. Did you notice uh, Pike's uniform in this scene? Yes, Uh, and it's right out of the gate. Yeah, this is, is, again, we're doing a little more fan service. This is a callback to Kirk's alternate uniform from the original series. Um, It shows up a couple times. Okay, so this is where I, I don't know exactly. I believe that it shows up a few times in the first season, but it's only a couple and then uh, in season two and three, it's it's a lot more common, is my recollection. But I, I don't remember the this typical, uniform at all. So. Yeah, it's it's set of the typical Starfleet uniform. Uh, Kirk gets this like wraparound kind of thing that he wears from time to time. Oh, that right. Well, the, the and, one thing the one thing that I noted noticed was that his uniform is green, and I don't think I've ever seen a Starfleet officer wear a green uniform. It, Kirk's is green as well. And and it has like leather shoulders and sleeves, like it's not one consistent fabric. Yeah, it's it's a little more fancy than Kirk's was. Kirk's is just fabric, yeah. but it's got some gold accents and stuff. And the I don't know what the truth is, but the you know the the scuttlebutt was like you know Shatner wanted to have his own costume that you know nobody else had or something, or the you know the captain oh, he was, should the captain should have a fancy thing that no one else does. Or, he was just being a diva. Maybe I, again, I have uh, no idea if that's true, uh, but uh, that's that's kind of been one of the rumors in Star Trek fandom for a long time. Was like, oh, Shatner had to, you know, couldn't have the same uniform as everybody else. Captain's got to have something special. 
Okay, so but, so this uh, uniform is a throwback. Yeah, it is. But uh, you know, we've we've seen that uh, in some other instances. In Next Generation, Picard has his own uniform for. Uh, it doesn't show up a ton, but there's some episodes where Picard has a uniform different than the others. He's got like a jacket instead of a. Sure. Um, it's yeah. So this this one just stood out because it had leather on it. I mean, it's it yeah. wasn't totally out of place. It was just different than we've seen before. Yeah. Is this would this be because he's on leave or there? I, I think the, the I think the implication here is because he's going to have to do some diplomatic stuff that they dress up a little bit. Oh, okay. It just to look more official to separate themselves from the regular crew. I guess you could. Say. Yeah, and we'll we'll see what uh, you know. This isn't the dress uniform we saw before that right. Uhura had on, so. We'll see what the context is going forward. In, in the original series, there didn't seem to be any particular occasion where this was used. It just was sometimes Kirk felt like wearing the wraparound, and sometimes he felt like wearing the regular uniform. So, I don't know. Is it easier to hide a girdle under this one? Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Admiral April informs them that they're going to have to do some diplomacy with a race that the Federation is attempting to bring into the fold. The Rongovians are the, is the name of the race. Uh, as far as I know, that's a new race we have not seen. Um, but they arrive early, and they will only talk to Pike. They will not talk to the Admiral. So La'an the messages all of them and says, hey, the Rongovians are here early. Should I bring them in? And so she brings them in, and they it's there's kind of a, a funny scene where Laon doesn't know she should go or stay or she doesn't want to be involved and, and she says uh sir i should go do the security things yeah. and then she kind of like leaves because she doesn't want to be involved because the rongovians at this point are very they're pretty rude well and she's clearly not comfortable in this diplomatic setting but yes. she also doesn't know if you know am i supposed to stay here and guard these people or she, yeah, she just has no idea what her role is. And so, right. Yeah. It's a little awkward. And the, the Ron, so the Ron Govians arrive and they're confused. They see Spock, who's clearly a Vulcan with all these other humans. And they ask Spock, like, are, are you, you're in Starfleet? Like, so who's in charge? Is it the Vulcans? Is it the Federation? Um, and Spock has a good uh, answer that they all have a voice and that everybody in the Federation gets, you know, their say and that it's not run by one particular race. Which comes back in the in the future, which is so it's worth noting that um, the Rongovians have some trepidation about joining the Federation, I should say. Yeah, which, you know, this is always how the Federation's presented and it does seem how it actually is, but and I know, like, this is getting a little meta because probably the main reason for this is just, you know, costume and makeup budget. But the Federation is clearly dominated by humans. Oh, right. Sure. Like, there's more humans involved in, than any. I mean, and and I think there's made mention at some point in some of the Star Trek canon that, you know, humans are just more likely to join Starfleet, but that the... The Federation has represent, you know, the representation is equal, but Starfleet is mainly a human organization just because humans are more like, let's get out into space than other races are. But actually, actually, that's a good point. You're right. It probably does have more to do with budget than anything. If, yeah. Like I in mean, lower it's... decks, there's a lot more non-human races because it's easier to, I mean, you can right, exactly. You don't have to do, um, you know, four five hours hour makeup, makeup session yeah. for, to have an extra walk by that's an alien. So, uh, but yeah, <laughs> If you were looking from the outside, you'd be like, I mean, sure, you say it's all equal, but it sure seems like humans are calling the shots here. 
Like your capitals on Earth, and all yeah. of the people in charge seem to be human. So yeah, I kind of assumed that it was a human thing, or at least started with humans. Cause I guess because of the lack of budget, maybe. Um, but I guess not. It's just a, a coming together of. It, I mean, the, the Federation's just the UN of space, essentially. I mean, anybody can join, but yeah. Okay. The only other thing that we should note in this is before the Rongovians arrived, they show video of the previous uh, interaction with the Rongovians with a different race, and they were extremely rude um, to whoever they were meeting before they were meeting the Federation. So the Federation or the Enterprise crew is a little bit nervous about meeting these Rongovians because they're just kind of jerks. Yeah, and it, it's there's no mention of how they got this footage. I, you know, is Starfleet intelligence yeah. really that good, or did the did the was it the Tellarites? I think they're talking. Yeah, Tellarites. You know, did the Tellarites just go, "Hey, you know, we struck out, but here, you guys, we'll give you the recording so you can watch the game film and try and improve where we failed." I, it's it was weird that they had this. Yeah, good, and it was like an overhead shot too. Like it almost looked like it was kind of like subterfuge that they had spy. I don't know. Yeah, so I'm I'm thinking Starfleet Intelligence has uh, the Tellarites pegged. They've got you know video in their capital. The next scene is in sickbay. We see Chapel, Ubenga, and Ortega uh, preparing to leave for some shore leave because again the ship is being repaired, so they have nothing to do on the ship. And, and I'll say that's a nice little bit of continuity. Uh, you know, we we're used to in Star Trek seeing, you know, if particularly egregiously in Voyager, where you know, decks ten through fifty are decompressed and the warp drives offline, and you know, life supports hanging on by a thread at the end of the episode, and then the next episode they're just cruising along like nothing ever happened. So it's nice to see. Hey, yeah, we had this major encounter and took a lot of damage. We're going to be out of action for a while. So, uh, let's see. Uh, Ortegas asks Chapel, I believe, um, if she's excited to see Lieutenant Dever, who was apparently Chapel's old boyfriend. Um, Chapel kind of defers a little bit, and then Ortegas also asks her about an old girl, a friend, possibly. So there's there's a tiny tiny hint here that um, Chapel has she definitely has history with this guy, but I think they're perhaps implying that maybe she's bi. Um, I looked it up online. There was there was nothing crazy about her character, you know, being um, outed or anything like that. But I I took note that she had at least history with both genders. So yeah, and I think it's it's kind of an aside. Um, yeah, and you can look at this a couple different ways. You can look at it as Okay, they threw this little aside in here as, you know, we're going to throw a little bit of a bone to the LGBTQ community. Or you can look at it as this cynical thing of, okay, like, we're going to give you a nod, but it's going to be this little aside that we never talk about right. again. And then, we're you know, so we, yeah, we gave you something, now shut up. But uh, I, I guess I'll take it in the, the spirit it was intended, that they're they're trying to make the cast and the the crew of the enterprise a little more diverse than it was in the past and i mean star trek is if anything has always been yeah diverse and forward thinking so yeah and but, and it's it's said in such a way that it's it's clearly a total non-issue for these characters right. so we see that in the future we're we're more enlightened that's one of the nice things about star trek 
Yeah, it's more it's more about how I guess Chapel has relationship issues. I think that's kind of what they're trying to establish. Yes. She has like commitment problems or yeah, needs Yeah, out, the focus out. of the conversation is not who she's having relationships with that no one cares about. Yeah. It's just yeah, that her relationships aren't going. So, uh the three of them end up in the transporter room and they're preparing to transport down. And I think one of them makes mention of, because Ortegas and Una are there and they make mention that, oh, you guys aren't going on shore leave. And I think it, I think it was Ortegas that says, oh, they don't shore leave. They shore stay. (laughs) (laughs) And it, it comes out that Una has a nickname and the nickname is where fun goes to die. (laughs) So there, I mean, there's the the implication here being that the the top brass is just all stuffy and boring, and they don't even take shore leave, right? And uh, I I just yeah, that's that's not a nickname. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. That's just that's just a it's slap something in the people face. say about her, but yeah. yeah, there's no way uh someone walks into a room, and, you know, two cadets <laughs> pass in the hall, like man, you'll never guess what where fun goes to die told me today. Yeah, right. <laughs> There's no way they're using that as a name for her. So, come on. After after they beamed everyone uh, off of the Enterprise, I think Una at one point leans over and says, uh, "Have you heard that nickname for me?" And and Chief Kyle just totally pretends. Kyle like, looks the no, other no, way. No, no, not at all. Yeah, totally stammers. Like I don't know what you're talking about, but clearly it, it was well known. So yeah, the crew is is definitely uh, they've got her pegged. She's the one that's neat fun. The next scene is a super quick scene between um, Spock and T'Pring. And uh, T'Pring basically guilt trips Spock for missing their dinner date because he got roped into um, doing diplomacy with the Rongovians. So this is essentially the second time now that duty, duty has trumped their relationship. Well, he's about to go have dinner with her and she's prepared it, but he says that he can't do it. He he has to go do further work, right? That's how I got interpreted. That, that was no they, they they didn't have dinner prepared. At the beginning he he mentions, "Hey, yeah, we're going to have this time together, but I have this duty I have to perform first. It shouldn't take long, uh and I'll be back and then we'll have dinner together." But she has a meal set out like the camera cuts to the meal and the wine and yeah. Right. So while he was gone doing yeah. this duty that she was she wasn't thrilled when he's like, hey, I got to do this little thing. I'll be back in an hour. Kind of. I mean, he doesn't say a time, but the yeah. implication is this isn't going to take long and I'll be back. She's not thrilled that he's he's leaving at all, but she's like, OK, but then we're having dinner when you get back. And he says, yep, absolutely. And off he goes. Yeah. But uh, and then where he goes is not work. Right. So this is no, it is. He goes to the the initial meeting. You know, they're they're having a planning session about the negotiations with the, what is it? The Rongonians? Rongovians. Yeah. Yeah. They're having kind of a a strategy session for how the talks are going to go. And then they show up and say, all right, we're starting now, which is unexpected. So he thinks he's going to this little one hour kind of strategy meeting, but it ends up being the full fledged negotiation. Oh, is the implication here that it caught them off guard because the Rongovians showed up early? Yes, exactly. Ah, okay. The, the, and so the only other thing I took away from the scene is that T'Pring is worried that his half-human self will make them incompatible because she's full Vulcan and he's half Vulcan, half human. So perhaps that will cause a problem in their relationship. And and that comes up later, but she mentions it here as part of this missed dinner 
that, you know, she's essentially yeah. kind of calls him out. Like you need to, you need to focus more on our relationship instead. Yeah. Of on and th- this is definitely the first time in the episode where I feel like Taprina's is being pretty unfair. Not that she's upset, like that makes sense. But instead of just saying, Hey, I, you know, I feel like your Starfleet career is getting in the way of our relationship. And I'm not happy about that. She's specifically mad that he, he made a choice to not come back to dinner. And I just wanted, I mean, I was kind of waiting for him to say, hey, I, I, I'm i in the military basically here. I can't always decide where I'm going to go. If I'm ordered to attend this meeting, I have to. Especially by an admiral. Right. So be be mad. I mean, it's it's totally fair for her to say, hey, we're, we're not getting time for a relationship and I'm not happy about that. But to make it, you've you've made a choice to just to put Starfleet in front of me. I mean, I guess that's true in a way. Just by staying in Starfleet, he's he's this, you know he's making that choice. But it was almost like you could have come to dinner and didn't. Yeah, I guess he could have resigned his commission right then and come to dinner. But it it, it felt like he didn't have quite the level of of agency in this situation that she seems to think he did. Oh, interesting. After this, he like goes to the bar. So I figured I figured he was kind of like trying to avoid her after this but i guess it's just well she she leaves she says you know hey we're you know if you're not gonna make this a priority then i'm out of here we'll we'll talk later and she leaves so okay and then that's when he kind of you know the camera pans over and he notices that she's made this whole meal and he looks very crestfallen because he realizes what a big deal this actually is so uh, the next scene is the the intro litany um, so we're 14 minutes and 15 seconds into this episode. So, I mean, we're almost, you know, a third of the way through the episode and before we even get the intro. Yeah, I was surprised. It, it came I kept on. Thinking, I was like, did I miss it? Like, right. And then it kicked in like, oh, wow. Like, yeah, they really went deep into this one before we got the lit. So normally, I, I mean, I usually skip the intro. I mean, I've seen it a hundred times. So for whatever reason, I watched it this time and I did take a couple notes on the in- This intro is just absolutely gorgeous. Like there are some really, really cool starscapes. There are some fantastic shots of the Enterprise in front of various um, we are, interstellar uh, phenomenon. I, you know, the, the, I would use a vulgar term here. We're, we're, you know, we're really watching the Enterprise closely. I was, I mean, I guess. What is that supposed to mean, Ben? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The term I would use would be we're, you know, with our eyes, we are like undressing the Enterprise, I guess I would say. Sure. It's very. (laughs) Enterprise porn, maybe? I I don't know if, I mean, I guess I'd have to rewind. I mean, if, if you look at, say, the Voyager intro or the Deep Space Nine intro or the Next Generation, I mean, they were cool. I mean, and you see, maybe they were products of their time. I I just was watching this intro and just like, there's so many cool artistic shots. It's not just the Enterprise with like a black hole behind it or in a meteor field. Like there's some very cool artistic shots of the nacelles and... Um, yeah, I mean, anyway, just, just shout out to whoever designed that intro. It it really stands out. Good yeah. job. So uh, we got to get moving along, man. We got a lot of episodes. Yeah. Um, so the next scene, uh, like we briefly mentioned before, is you see Chapel in a bar talking to a guy. So the implication here is that this is Deborah that we were introduced or that uh, Laon mentioned earlier. 
So they are in a bar, I assume, on the Starbase. And I, I made a note that the costumes in this bar scene are amazing. At one point, the the camera pans past this lady that walks by in this red and gold, like, shimmering dress that just looks amazing. Yeah. And all the characters in this are all outfitted in non-Starfleet uniforms. So, um, I mean, I know we've mentioned it in the past episodes that the, the costumers on this on this show are just really knocking it out of the park. Right. And yeah, everyone's dressed very, you know, this is clearly like the black tie bar. Right. It's everyone's dressed formal. elegantly. I hope there's just like, you know, the <laughs> the pub somewhere on the station yeah, where right. you can dress down a little bit and, and relax because this is this is not that place. Is, does denim not exist in Starfleet? It must right. be. Right. Yeah. Where's the bar where you can wear yeah, jeans? Seriously. Hopefully that's that's, you know, that's down on the lower decks and that's where all the cadets are hanging out. So what we see is uh, Chapel talking to Dever, and you know they haven't seen each other a while in a while, and he starts to talk about us. I'm doing quote fingers here, you know, and basically, you know, what's the status of our relationship? Yeah, and she is 100 percent not having it. No, because she wanted to leave. She was like, "Hey, you know, we could stay here right. and have dinner, or we can go have fun." And he was like, "Well, I want to talk about our yeah, relationship." Yeah, no, Devers needs to learn to read the room. Like, yeah, she's really, so right? obviously not into this. And he just keeps plowing forward with it. So uh, Chapel basically gets nervous and she says, oh, oh, shoot, you know what? I got I to gotta go check on my friend. And she walks over and she talks to um, – so she goes over and sits with Spock. So the implication is that Spock is – yeah, after being crestfallen for uh, letting T'Pring down, he is now drinking his sorrows away in this bar. I, I do want to point out one line this guy says. I mean he's super cringe. like. He says, like, you look hot, like fire hot. Yeah. Right. She says, thank you. And then he goes, what about me? Yeah. Aren't, yeah. aren't I fire? <laughs> We're two fires. Oh, God. This is oh, where yeah, I, I, I like, know. noticed this was, this was, like, a light episode. This is, like, a humor kind of laid yeah. back episode. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's fun. not he's not fishing for compliments. This guy's, you know, dragging a net across yeah. the bottom of the ocean for compliments. I don't know, man. I mean, Chapel's smoking hot. Like, you got to just, like... I mean, he just straight up says, yeah. "Hey, compliment me too." Yeah, like you're you're lucky she's talking to you, dude. Yeah. Um. So Chapel talks to goes over and sits with Spock. They kind of basically have a relation a discussion about relationships. Chapel calls him an idiot for not understanding uh, his wife's needs. At one point, she kind of smacks him in the head. Yeah. And uh, and Spock says, "That's not a human gesture. I am familiar with." So Chapel proceeds to give him some relationship advice. Um, did you? I got the impression from this scene that the chemistry between Chapel and Spock is pretty solid, right? Oh no, they're, they're yeah, we're we're is telegraphing she, okay a relationship between them. Oh really? Oh yeah, oh, yeah. It, it, the very close of that scene, hmm. like she looks down and kind of bats her eyes at him. And like it was like uh, I I noted the chemistry like it was she, full on like this isn't like I'm trying to help my friend no she's flirting with him hard hard yeah okay but she's done it a couple times already in the show this is right. this is the, not subtle oh speaking of which to the original right yeah yeah speaking of which this is the conversation where uh, yeah she asks him about you know why are you you know why are you feeling down he tells her about his dream which I thought was I'm oh like, right wow like. Uh, you know, not she's flirting with him hardcore, but Spock is also confiding things in her. I don't think he would tell anybody else. Oh, that's a good point. So we're seeing kind of both sides here. His his guard is way down with her, 
as opposed to everybody else. He just says, yeah, I had this dream where I was, you know, my, my Vulcan and human halves were fighting. And <laughs> Chapel's response is, boy, you Vulcans don't do subtle, do you? Yeah, right. <laughs> and I'm like, yes, thank you. Exactly. That was way super, super on the nose. And uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm, I was glad to see that the, the writers called themselves out for that. Well, the interesting thing is there, I mean, he's laying everything out, talking about his fiance and his relationship, and she's telling him that he's stupid. And then at the exact same time, he's talking about his fiance. She's flirting with him. Yeah. No, the, there's the implication here is that both of these people are, are definitely attracted to each other. Okay. I, I'm not, I'm not, sold I, I on don't that. know I if think... I get the impression that, that Spock is into her, but she's definitely into him, but we'll see. Jason, what do you think? No, I, I, it seems, it would seem odd, especially on Spock's end of things. He seems to really want to impress, I mean, he's engaged, you know, that they okay. the, the whole episode is about his relationship. So, um, that would be interesting. Yeah. Uh, so we see, uh, Una and Laon walking the hallways of the enterprise. Um, they are still on the enterprise, not taking shore leave. They're basically kind of like giving each other a pep talk about, you know, being the boring stuffy shirts of the of the ship and they're like oh you know there's nothing wrong with liking work right and, and una says i was really looking forward to redoing the duty rosters like yeah oh, all right yeah uh, i think they got you pegged yeah really yeah why do they think you guys aren't fun i i don't know yeah laon also says um you know she likes being in the in the enterprise alone and you know it's just you and the gentle thrum of the warp core it's like <laughs> it's like christmas uh, the scene ends with Laon getting a security alert at an airlock, so they have to go investigate, you know, to make sure nobody's trying to break in or whatever. And uh, they open an airlock, and they see that there are just two kids there, you know, messing around. And they come back later, but um, just just worth noting that they're just two kids having a good time. So um, Spock and Tupring are up next in their temporary quarters on the Starbase and uh, uh yeah Spock... specifically uh, Chapel has told kind of the resolution of their conversation is Chapel tells Spock, you know, hey you you know if you're concerned about her not thinking you're Vulcan enough, then you need to, you know, make a Vulcan gesture, meet her on her terms. So they they end up doing uh, Spock suggests a, a Vulcan soul sharing. Um and he says we can truly understand each other. We will see through each other's eyes. So they're going to do, I assume this is kind of an extension of a mind meld that perhaps you can only do with other Vulcans. Yeah. And, and we, we haven't encountered this particular Vulcan ritual before. Um, so it, it's not super important, but no, it, they decided they decide to take their Vulcan relationship to the next level. And uh, shockingly, the, it goes awry and uh, they swap bodies. So Tupring is now in Spock's brain and vice versa. I do have questions. Though. Like if this is, you know, this Vulcan soul sharing thing, you know, it, she doesn't, it, she doesn't react as if this is a, very, a really unusual request or this is taboo or anything. Hmm. So yeah, wouldn't you do this if if you're engaged to be married and this was something you could, like, wouldn't you have already done this? It It seems like something that would be, that's a good point. Wouldn't that be the basis of your entire relationship? Right. If you could, you know, you see could, each yeah. other's souls, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you do that as part of getting engaged? Or, or if it was 
well, no, you only do this if if you're married or something like that, then you would think she would say, well, whoa, we can't do that. We're not married yet. Or right, it right. just seemed odd that this was something they could do and hadn't chosen to do yet. Yeah, it seems to it seemed to me more like couples counseling for Vulcans. Like she kind of scoffs at it, like she's yeah. like seriously of soul sharing, and so that's yeah, maybe it's like something that you know troubled Vulcan marriages do. Maybe maybe it goes awry a lot, and that's why they don't yeah. like doing it. Who knows? <laughs> so uh, they they basically get swapped, and they realize that this is going to cause a big problem. So they they try and undo the process. They seem really surprised, though. So that that's yeah. the thing. It doesn't seem like this is yeah. oh well. This this is something that could, we knew this could happen. They seem like oh, I've never heard of. I think they specifically say they've never heard of this occurring. Hmm. So it's a little yeah. The, we we don't get ever any explanation of why this happened, which I suppose is better than a hand wavy one. So it, it, it doesn't really matter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the writers are just like yeah, hey, just go with it, and I'm fine with that. I can yeah. do that. There's a lot that we have to just go with in this episode. Right. So, right. It's, it's a lot you have to just go with in this show. I mean, there, yeah. there's a, that definite suspension of disbelief. So, all right. So just moving along real quick, um, they do spend, so that the, the camera cuts a couple times and you see them trying different things. They, they are trying to undo this because they both have work to do. So it, it cuts and it, Tapring says, well, there's one more chant I want to try, but we might need a gong, which I thought was an interesting um line so apparently they've she mentions that they've been at this for hours and they can't undo it so whatever they've been trying they've been really working to switch bodies this is where things are going to get confusing because it's it's quote unquote to pring who says that but it's spock at this point yes right all of my notes are as the Mm -hmm. person saying them but it's really the other person but yeah he says uh uh i think it's to pring says spock i do not like hijinks in and that then, we're in agreement, yeah. it appears that hijinks are the most logical course of action. Yeah, they both basically come to the same conclusion: like we've got nothing left, so we got to get up to some hijinks to get this undone. I'm. This is just hilarious. I'm loving this episode so far, just because it's uh, so it's so tongue in cheek. So, agreed. We'll get to you. Know, I'll. I have some a take at the end. I was. I'll. I'll save it. Yeah. Uh, the next thing we see is uh, Pike's quarters. With Admiral April, um, he mentions that the Rongovians are not happy and they don't want to talk to Pike. Um, they only want to talk to Spike to Spock. Sorry. Um, so Pike goes to to Pring slash Spock's quarters and just basically mention like, "Hey, Spock, you're getting called in because they don't want to talk to me." And um, that that's clearly a problem because they have swapped bodies now and. So there's a lot of referring to themselves in the third person mistakenly referring to the other person. Yeah. They're, they're having trouble uh, talking about their identity because it's switched. Um, Pike's line is you're pretty much all that stands between us and the Ron Govians allying with the the Klingons or the Romulans. Hell, maybe both. So this is a big deal that he, they need Spock to come and do his Spock thing. And he can't because he switched bodies. So they decide to tell Pike that they've switched and that it's going to complicate the negotiations. They they thought maybe they could get away with just, you know, passing it off. But now, you know, the, everybody this, else is involved, so they can't. This is my favorite moment in the episode because I was, like, worried, like, they did a body switch episode with two people that are basically the same. Like, yes. their personalities are the same. And they and they say, I am Spock. Um, now that you know, you can likely tell very differences in our mannerisms. And he's like... 
Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like now, yeah, now that you know that we've switched, like it must be obvious, right? And they're like, they're, yeah, you said they're completely yeah. identical. Yeah. And Pike's just like, oh, yeah, yeah you mm-hmm. bet. Mm-hmm. Uh, the next thing we see is Laon and Una, and they are interrogating the kids, uh, just trying to figure out what they were doing. Before they go into the room, they basically negotiate who's going to be good cop and who's going to be bad cop. So, uh, yeah, which is interesting because you, you know, generally you do that when you're interrogating the same person. You're gonna, yeah. you know, we're gonna, you know, pair off against this person and keep them off balance because one of us is being nice and one of us is being mean. But they split them up, so it's it's just like, yeah, we're gonna do this like social experiment where you be mean to the person you interrogate, I'll be nice to the person I interrogate, and we'll see who gets results or something. Uh, ultimately, Laon gets to be bad cop. Una gets to be good cop. It's not super. Imp- this is the B plot. It's not super important. Um, but what is important is that the kids basically mention that they were playing Enterprise Bingo, and that's why they were in this that that airlock when they got caught. And Una, uh, that this the scene ends with Una asking Laon, you know, what's Enterprise Bingo? I've never heard of that. And if you remember back in the the first episode with Uhura, where she that they they haze her into wearing her dress uniform to Pike's quarters, uh, Ortegas mentions Enterprise Bingo right there as well. Yes, she does. So this is this is apparently a thing they do on the Enterprise. So we'll get into um, actually. Let's cover that right now. Well, real quick though, let, let's note the interrogation piece. Uh, both of them are extremely successful. Yes. Uh, Luan has this cadet absolutely terrified and sobbing at the time <laughs> she's done with her. And then we see that Una is now this cadet's best friend. Yep. They're laughing, they're they're chatting, everything's super nice. So, uh, yeah, apparently if you need good cop, bad cop, we know exactly who to talk to because these guys are great at it. After this, they, they cut away from the kids, so it's just Una and Laon again, and they are discussing Enterprise Bingo, and uh, Laon does some research, and they determine that it's a game performed by Ensigns and Lower. And um, if you look, she has a, on her pad, her iPad or whatever, she has a list of the things that are required for Enterprise Bingo, and so I'll just read them real quick. Use a transporter to reflavor gum, phaser stun duel, Turbo Lift Two Floor Shout Challenge, Set the Universal Translator to Andorian, Gravity Boot Hang Challenge, Medical Tricorder Challenge colon Vulcan Marsupial, Food Replicator Challenge Durian Fruit, Sneak, oh. a, trib- sneak a Tribble into the Transporter Buffer, Sit in the Captain's Chair, EV Suit Challenge colon Unsanctioned Spacewalk, and the last one is Sign the Scorch. So, um, what, I have to admit, I, I did not pause it there. I thought about doing it, but I did not. So it's, it's fun to hear what these are. I didn't see them in the episode. There's actually, yeah, I, I started to like type them out from the pause thing. I'm like, I bet you this is on the internet. So I just Googled it and they were all there, but there's some good things here. And so that's actually what they do next. Um, <laughs> so Una's line is, well, if this is what passes for fun, I'm happy to be, I'm happy to be fun's funeral. <laughs> and so Laon says, well, I guess we could we could try and understand it. So you see them um, attempting the gum challenge, uh, Ortegas, or not Ortegas, sorry, Laon is on the 
the transporter pad and she said her gum has lost flavor. They beam her out and then beam her back and she says, oh, experiment. So apparently if you transport with gum in your mouth, it regenerates the flavor. I don't know. Well, I'm, I'm hoping that the the challenge here is you're you're slightly altering the the pattern when you transport oh. to put the flavor back in the gum because if if transporting with gum that's lost its flavor gives it its flavor back that has some scary implications for transporting <laughs> really because the whole point is that you're supposed to be unaltered by the process okay so well, maybe the if, gum is altered not the human uh, maybe but yeah that that flies in the face of what we know about transporting which is thing goes in thing comes out exactly as it was i um, think you're i think you're reading way too much into the gum challenge well you've also got the whole you know philosophical conversation you have about the transporter right and the, you know does it does it kill you every time you do it do you have a soul because if you do and you right because right. i mean that's that's why they they make a big deal about you know no we're not just like transport we're not recreating your atoms on the other end we're literally moving the at your atoms from one place to another so that we're not just killing you and making a copy every time yeah it seems like this show is playing with the transporter a little bit more like maybe kind of expanding what we know about it like the the whole embenga um and his daughter using using the transporter buffer right yeah. so maybe they're playing around with yeah. it um, they do uh, they do the turbo lift two floor shout challenge where two people stand on a turbo lift and at the you, you count to three and you both yell a floor and you decide you see who the computer what floor it decides to go to and that person wins. They do a the stun challenge where they both get phasers and they aim them at each other on the lowest setting and they they shoot each other except Una chickens out at the end and doesn't shoot Laon. Um, it's yeah, all she says she says wait fun. like she she loses her nerve and Luan does not and just shoots her. Um, so that's just a kind of a silly B plot and it was fun. It was fine. It is. Um, I have to say that the two floor turbo lift challenge is, is the gimme of the list. Oh, for sure. Every other one involves either breaking some regulations or being in somewhere you're not supposed to be or doing something you're not supposed to do. This one is literally just, you know, you're on the turbo lift and you each shout a floor. That's that's, there's no, no risk involved with that. Right. I would think like voice recognition software would be better in this world you'd think um i mean you'd think the elevator would be like wait who's the higher ranking officer we'll just go with that or oh interesting. i'm sorry you guys both said two different floors it's it's just it's just alexa apparently <laughs> poor poor design send the enterprise back to space dock um what we see next is uh to getting a call from her associates one of her associates and basically saying hey one of your criminal clients that you're working to help us rehabilitate um, we need your help bringing him in, um, but clearly Tupring is not Tupring, Tupring is Spock, and so Spock, as Tupring, says, uh, I'm not feeling well, and her associate says, only you can do this, Tupring. So now um, Spock is forced to go as Tupring and do her job, which is, so this is perhaps some of these hijinks that are going <laughs> to end up happening quickly. They have to here. do each other's jobs. They do. So. Right, and and yeah, so they yeah they're they're definitely getting to see the world through their each other's eyes. I think that we have a bit of a missed opportunity here, where you know Spock was you know asked to choose between his relationship and his duty, um, and this would have been to Pring being asked to choose between her relationship and her duty. I would have been interested to see what her choice would have been if it had been her instead of Spock. Mm. Mm. Yeah, yeah. All right, that's a good point, actually. 
the next thing we see is Ortegas and Chapel near a lake. They are, I don't know where they are. Are they? They're on the station. Yeah, they mentioned they that the habitat, lake? yeah, they mentioned that the habitat has fly fishing. So, yeah, they've got this like domed habitat somewhere that's got a lake. Um, so they are hanging out at this lake. You see Ubenga doing some fishing. Um, really cool shots of fly fishing. Um, yeah, this was a nice moment for Umbenga. We just get to see him having a good time. And like close-ups of the the little like spinner thing, the lures, the lures. Yeah, like like the, <laughs> this is some. No, yeah. it was cool. It was it's a nice little character moment for him. Um, so Ortegas and Chapel are just hanging out, and they see Tapring walking up. They don't know that it's Bach. Chapel uh, walks up to Tapring, and she's a little bit nervous, and she says, you know, essentially, I hope I didn't cross the line. I gave Spock some relationship advice. Um, not aware of the body swap. Um, so she basically tries to get her to use it as a relationship opportunity. That she was just explaining what – she's trying to justify it to Tapring that she's not crossing the line, I think, is – what I took away from that. Yeah. Um, so now we cut back to Spock and the Ron Govians um, sitting at the table doing the negotiation that Pike and um, Admiral Robert April were not allowed at. I did note that Uhura is sitting at the table. She's not participating. She's just, I, I assume, doing stenography or whatever. She's yeah, it's doing communication. Yeah, it's unclear what her role is here. She she has very little to do in this episode. She she sits there, but yeah, she doesn't. I don't think she has any lines. But Yeah, the only character with less involvement in this episode than Uhura is Hemmer, who's not in it at all. The uh, the Rongovians ask, "What is the what is the logic of an alliance with a federation whose interdependence merely dilutes the cu- cultures that comprise it?" So this is they're asking Spock, who's really to pring. So I think this is a moment for to pring to realize, you know, okay, well Spock is diluted because he's not a hundred percent Vulcan. The Federation is diluted because they're not a hundred percent human. Is that necessarily a bad thing? Right. The, the the thing that you see is you see Pike and, and Admiral uh, April are in the room. They are sitting back and they are only observing. So they can hear and they're kind of like looking at each other, like nervous, like, how is this going to go? And at one point, um, Pike stands up and he walks over to interrupt. And the Rongovian. Well, Tapring to, to gives the answer, which is basically, yeah. Um... You know, this is a huge sacrifice that I've made. I mean, she's she's giving her perception of what Spock is doing. And she says, yeah, it's this huge sacrifice I've made to serve Starfleet at the, you know, and have kind of given up uh, interaction with my own people. And, and she's basically confirming what they the Rongovians just asked, which was, you know, hey, does this kind of dilute your culture? And she's saying, yes, yes, it does. And. Pike looks at Robert April like, oh, my God, I can't believe they said, you know, that, quote unquote, Spock just said that. Uh, and then, yeah, he he can't help it. He's got to intervene because this is going off the rails. Right. But uh, so we see that he, you know, uh, Pike is definitely impulsive. Uh, Robert April is a little horrified that he's going to interject when they're not supposed to. So uh, Robert April is a bit more of a rule follower, it seems, than Pike is. Pike's a little more of a fly-by-the-seat-of-your-pants kind of guy. Um, 
you know, here we kind of see that while, you know, in some ways Starfleet is supposed to be a military-like organization, uh, in other ways it's very much not in that you can kind of just do whatever you want sometimes. <laughs> so uh, the admiral in charge uh, clearly has told, you know, the, the the implication is he's been told not to say anything, and he just does. Despite the fact that, you know, Robert April says, you know, what, Chris, what do you stop? What are you doing? And he just goes forward with it. So, well, you just you just do whatever and ignore your commanding officer if you want to sometimes, well, I guess. He, he walks over to the table and he says, oh, can I interject real quick? And the Rongovians are like, no, we don't want you here. And he was like, oh, I don't want to talk to you. I want to talk to to Spock. So yeah. he essentially so he looks at Spock and he tells Spock how important he is to the federation and being away from his people i mean he's like i understand that that's hard for you but it is very important that you are um doing what you do you have a very important job so talking to topinga yeah right so that's that's the that's the rub here is that he's telling to pring how important spock is and how how vital he is to this crew and he acknowledges that he is making a sacrifice by being away from his people and his fiance and he basically says, I can't remember exactly what the words are, but he, in a, in a in a nutshell, he says that Spock is the the best of Starfleet. That he embodies right. all that makes Starfleet and the Federation good. Says so something like, "You're the you're the best, the finest example of of you know the good of the Federation." It's high praise. Um. So at this point, the Rongovians are kind of on board. They've changed their mind a little bit. And the the scene cuts next, and we're back with Ubanga fishing at the lake. Um, yeah, sorry. Um, oh, you want? Yeah, just uh, Pike. Uh, you know, he apologized after he says this right. to Spock. He turns to them and says, um, "You know, I'm I'm very sorry. Uh, you know, forgive the interruption. I I apologize if I've offended." You. And their response is, um, "You know, no, we're actually impressed that you would stick up for your crewmate that way." We so, cut, we cut back win. to the lake. Yes, agreed. And and th- th- this is all part of the theme that goes into the Rongovian switch at the end, which we'll get to. So yeah, um, uh, we're at Ubanga's fishing at the lake. Um, Chapel and Tapring are basically now discussing the criminal that Tapring is supposed to bring in. Um, she, uh, Pring's line is. My sympathy for those without logic is why I'm here, because this this Vulcan criminal has lost his logic, essentially, um, and has, you know, gone off the, the path and become a criminal. Yeah, and I, I love that, you know, the Vulcans, you know, they don't have, you know, she's a she's a cop, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, but her role isn't like investigation or tracking these people down. It's literally to just talk them out of being a criminal. And well, and talk. Right. And talk them back into logic, essentially. Right. So the, the criminal basically insults Spock. She says, oh, you're the guy, or you're the girl that's married to that half-human, half-Vulcan. Like, you're not even a true Vulcan. Like, who who are you to tell me about Vulcan ideals, right? He says, you defend Vulcan ideals with one hand and insult them with the other. So, yeah, and he, he basically says, I decided to give myself up until you know you showed up and you you've you've offended me basically with your non-vulcanness so now you know screw it i'm not going back so to bring slash spock says whoa 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 you really got to stop insulting my choice of significant other he chooses not to stop 
and uh, to bring Spock just full on decks him in the face and literally knocks him out. Yeah, he he gets gets sucker punched bad. Yeah, I mean, as far as Vulcans go, I mean, you couldn't really insult them any more than that guy did. So he kind of had it coming. Yeah. At this no, point, and, and and it's you know, and it's not even just that you know he's he's talking about Spock, who's the one who reacts. So, um. Yeah, Spock says, like, perhaps we should keep the details of how exactly we captured him between us. My response was a tad uh, human. Yeah, that, so that was that was my... definitely not the Vulcan method to just, they're not, just they're knock not gonna, the dude out. They're not going to notice he has a gigantic black eye. When right, yeah, yeah. Sure, he, whatever. he fell. It, it he hit his head getting into the squad car. Uh, we cut to sick bay. We see Chapel and Obanga are now back on board the Enterprise, and they are attempting a cat trick. Kotrick transfer. Um, they basically take a ground up sea urchin paste. They rub it on their foreheads, which the uh, it says it makes it makes it uncomfortable for anything else in your brain than your normal brain waves. So um, they're they're just trying to undo this transfer medically now. Yeah, and so uh, the, the hand wavy explanation for how this happened we didn't get. We now get for reversing it. Yep. Um, the at one point, Chapel looks over at Obanga and goes, "They're going to nerve pinch us for this, aren't they?" And then they, you know, essentially turn on the electricity or turn on the system, and which and yeah, you, turns out to be excruciatingly painful. Ex- and they never right. never told them that part. Yeah. <laughs> right. That seems like that seems like a little bit of a violation of your your Hippocratic oath to not inform them. Hey, by the way, this is going to hurt like hell. Right. Before they turn it on. <laughs> The the last scene is it's just Chapel and Spock and he's kind of sitting on the edge of the medical bay, and you assume he's just kind of recovering a little bit. And Chapel walks over and advises him um, to be honest with himself. So she's continuing to give him relationship advice and um, pretty good advice. Yeah. Well, her advice is to be honest with himself, not be honest with her. But yeah. Be honest with himself, essentially saying, you know, you need to give yourself a break. Well, and he says, you know, she says, you know, you need to be honest. And he says, well, I, I, of course I'm honest. I'm a Vulcan. We, we can't lie like you humans can. And she says, no, no, no. I mean, be honest with yourself. And he looks a little introspective at that. So she, she's pegged it. Um, yeah. I mean, her, her advice to him through this entire episode is good advice. She's being a very good friend. Uh, so we see um, Spock into praying back in his, her, their quarters, wherever. Um, and he takes her advice and he lays out his feelings and concerns. Um, his line is, on our world, I was forced to prove my Vulcanness. In Starfleet, I'm accepted for who I am. So he, he's he's telling her that he doesn't feel that he may be a good mate for her because of his half-human side. Well, and he, he straight up says, I'm afraid that I'm not Vulcan enough for you. Right. Which is, I mean, that's a pretty big admission for a Vulcan to admit fear, I think. I mean, I, I think that's, you know, is that him being honest with himself? Is him finally admitting yeah, that think, that's why so. yeah. maybe he was kind of lying to himself before that it was something else? So um, anyway, he, he has this conversation with Tepring and he lays out his feelings. He, he, he bears his soul to her and um, says, here's what my problem, my concerns are. And it works because um, they end up kissing and uh, the scene ends with them laying down in the bed. Um, and then uh, who knows? So yeah. uh, that, well, that's I mean, probably I guess, all that happened. I'm sure they were just took a nap. Yeah. They just, they just cuddled and slept. 
So the, I think the takeaway from this is be honest with your significant other. Now, um, correct me if I'm wrong. Maybe maybe this was uh, maybe I dreamt this, but I could swear that at the cut from that scene, it, like you know, they they uh, they lay down. As they're laying down, we have a pan of the camera up to the ceiling. So we pan away from them up, and then it fades to black. And I could swear that as that fade happens into the next scene, that the door chime goes off. Oh wow! I don't I don't remember that. So maybe I'll, I'll maybe have to give I, it a rewatch. Yeah, watch it again, and you know, we'll maybe we'll remember to mention this in the next episode. But I could swear the door chime goes off as if oh, they're getting interrupted again, and we don't know whether he answered it or not. Okay. All right. Well, let's, uh, it, it comes up a little bit later in the episode. So let's see. Um, the, the next thing we see is Uhura and uh, Admiral April and Pike in the negotiating room. And they're kind of uh, looking at the next steps of what they're going to do after this last um, interview they had between Pike and the Rongovians, where they were sort of on board. The Rongovians walk in and they say, why should we ally with your Federation? And yeah. And, and- They've they've now switched back to saying they'll only talk to Pike, right? Uh, I, that's a good question. All I know I is they walk in and they're they're willing to talk to Pike at least now, where they weren't before. Yeah. So this they is were that. impressed with the way he defended um, Spock. So yeah, they wanted to oh, talk right. with him again. Good point. Um, so I, I wrote this is another of um, Pike's great speeches. I, I mean, he's the writers are really knocking it out of the park for him. And his his line was easy. You shouldn't. Why would you want to turn our enemies into your enemies? We're just a few years clear of the Klingon War. The Romulans are out there biding their time. Who knows what species will pick up, piss off next? And Roberts kind of gives him the side eye, like, what the heck are you doing? Like, we are so close, and now you're yeah. just telling them not to, right? And uh, the Rongovians walk out. They're, you know, you, you, the implication here is that they're offended, but Pike kind of looks at Robert April and he says, I'm playing. Well, a they, yeah, they, they get up and the, you know, the leader of the, there's two of them through this and one of them's clearly the leader. The other one's his attendant or something like that. Um, you know, it, Pike finishes his speech saying, yeah, you know, from your point of view, it probably doesn't make a whole lot of sense to join the Federation. And then, yeah, they stand up and he just says, thank you, Captain. And then they walk out. So um, Pike explains a little bit of what he was attempting to do uh, to Robert April, because Robert April is kind of gobsmacked at this point. Like this, like you suck at diplomacy. (laughs) Yeah, He says, you may have just cost us, you know, an alliance that would ensure our security. What are you doing? And he says, I'm playing a hunch. He says, the Rongovians were rude to the Tellarites, reasonable with us, and deeply logical when talking to a Vulcan. Maybe they're just looking for someone to take their point of view, radical empathy. And so my note here is that I, or this is why I like Star Trek is making you think of things outside of the box, right? Like not everybody thinks like a human, not everybody thinks like a Vulcan and is horribly logical. Like this, this is, this is the sci, sci-fi theme, like at its essence of taking your preconceived assumptions about people or communication and, and flipping them on their head. Yeah, and also it's, uh, you know, this is a common thing that happens in Star Trek where the alien of the week is, you know, we, they take a trait and assign it to these aliens and they've taken it to as far as they could possibly go. So uh, these are the empathy guys who have taken empathy to its its extreme conclusion. 
so like like the like the Ferengi take the Ferengi are greedy. These are guys are empathetic. The Vulcans are logical. The you know there's Klingons uh, are violent. Yeah, I mean that that episode uh, in Next Generation where there's the aliens that only talk in um, they only speak in in metaphor and Darmok and Jalad at Tanagra. Right. So they they take this you know. And if you think about it for a second, you get to like, okay, this society doesn't work, but it doesn't need to. It's there again. This is the like the morality play slash philosophical thing that Star Trek does. Just and they're using this as a tool to to put this idea of empathy under a microscope and look at it from all angles. So you can't think about it too much. Of like, how do these guys work if all they're doing is just right. You know, if you're trying that hard to see the other person's side, you're that you have no side. If two if two people are operating that way, then oh right, it's a feedback loop, right? But again, we're just there. There a reason to examine this idea of empathy and seeing the other person's point of view, which ties in with everything that Spock and Pringer are going through. So yeah, there's that's definitely the theme of this episode. Yeah, I mean, again, and that that's why I'm on board because I, I I love the way a this ties in and the way it flips your your preconceived notions on on its head so right sign me up yeah i like what you said baker about how they um there's sort of like a misunderstanding usually with these species like they misunderstand them off the bat like they they seem really angry at first and so you have to kind of dig a little deeper into them and like find out the the way they operate and then you learn more about them be, not being your you know your first impression I, yeah, I love this type of thing in Star Trek. We we definitely get the sense they don't. I don't think they have much to worry about with these folks aligning with the Romulans or the Klingons. By the way, well, so what happened? The the final part of this scene is that you see out the window of this meeting room, you can see the ship that they had brought, and all of a sudden the ship flies the fl- the Federation flag. Yeah, so- and they mentioned this is one of the few contributions uhura has to the episode is that earlier they had mentioned that uh they brought this solar sailor ship and yeah, like a very old ship that they only use for diplomacy yeah it's mentioned they only use it for for diplomatic events and you know it's it's like they're yeah it's not not representative of their usual fleet um, really then, cool yeah ship. they mentioned that they're yeah it's a really cool design and they mentioned that that's kind of the sign they give that they know that if they fly the flag of the, the other, you know, organization they're dealing with, that means that they're in agreement with them. So. So, uh, Pike's plan worked. His hunch worked. Um, yeah. He says, I think we have a new ally. Yeah. So, um, the next and, uh, almost last scene is we see Una and La'on and they are now, they're outside of the enterprise. They're walking on the hull of the enterprise. Um, they are attempting to sign the scorch, which is one of the items from enterprise bingo. Um, <laughs> La'on is very excited. She says, we did it. We broke the rules. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so they explain um, what signing the scorch is. Uh, so Una says it, this is it's the oldest unreplaced piece of the Enterprise's hull. It's supposed to be good luck to sign it. And so they both walk over and they crouch down and they sign it in chalk. And you see that there are already like several names um, have already signed it. 
And right about then, after they sign it, you see the Rongovian ship fly overhead and the old solar sails unfurl. And it's kind of this cool looking gold ship. Um, and it it looks and it even it sounds really cool. I had my headphones on when I was watching it and it sounds really neat. And um, I will say, like, the moment when we see, you know, uh, Uhura and Pike and April are in, uh, you know, in the like yeah, the conference room or whatever. And they see the the Federation flag go up on the Rongovian solar sailor ship. Uh, we get the like classic dun 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 dun. We get the the Star Trek fanfare. I'm pretty sure that's the first time we've heard that in this show. There's oh. you know there's a bit of a you know it's it's worked into the main theme a little bit, um, but it 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 doesn't play the whole thing. It like okay. it it's changed around it, you know, it's remixed basically for the main title theme. Uh, but this here, we get the, the full thing when the Federation flag flies. So it's nice. It's a nice moment. So uh, Una and Lon, basically uh, they look up at the ship and uh, I think they say it, it was good luck. So signing this ultimately was good luck because, you know, things worked out with the Ron Govian. So they are happy uh, to have broken a yeah, li- little bit of Star Trek, you know, sciencey thing here that that bugged me a little bit. I mean, this is so nitpicky, but um, you know, they go out on the hull. They don't need environment suits because there's some kind of force field around the entire Enterprise, providing an atmosphere. Well, they're in space dock. I mean, well, that's why. <laughs> why do they have this? It seems like a lot of energy to use to provide an oxygen atmosphere around the ship for reason. Why? Well, I I just kind of assumed it was because they're at space dock, and it would make it easier for humans to work on the hull. I guess, but we've ne- anyway we've never seen that yeah. particular ability of Starfleet sure. before. Uh, and when they caught the the ensigns playing Enterprise Bingo earlier in the episode, they were putting on environment suits to go out there. Oh, good point. Yeah. So hmm. anyway, maybe they just didn't know that Force Field was there, and Una did. The next thing we see uh, is a super quick scene of Spock and T'Pring in bed. And, you know, Spock is shirtless and sweaty um, post-coitus. Um, no, no, it was just a really, really intense cuddle session. He Right. Um, so Spock, now that they have unswitched bodies, uh, Spock mentions that he had to uh, pu- punch Barjon to bring him in. And T'Pring's line was, well, having met him, that's, that is logical. So she doesn't really have a problem with, you know, what happened and they have clearly made up and they are on good terms again. And then the, the episode ends. The the final, final episode is Chapel and Ortegas are having a drink at the bar. Ortegas asks how things went with Dever. Uh, Chapel says, Oh, I told him how boring he was. And we essentially broke up and uh, Ortegas basically says oh maybe you should try that early in a relationship next time honesty and then uh, star wipe and we see the credits and and i wrote down that i think honesty is really the theme of the episode you know being honest with the Rongovians, being honest with yeah. Spock and T'Pring. We, we get a moment to drag Debra's a little more though because she specifically mentions his crappy poetry is one of the reasons that <laughs> that's right yeah she's cut it off with them yeah um and uh, we also end with another little like, oh, we've got a thing for Spock moment because, um, yeah, I was wondering what that was. She's because I wrote it down. I was like, she asked him, or he would. She says uh, it would have to be the right guy, 
Yeah, she asks her, what, you know, what are you looking for in a partner? And she's like, oh, you know, it just it would have to be the right guy. And she kind of gets a little something. You're like, okay, oh, she's, she's yeah. got a thing for Spock. Okay. I didn't know that until now. So thanks for actually talking about that. Mm. This, I've learned something. Yeah. It just seemed awkward to end on that note. It was kind of a weird ending. It would have been. It would have been a great ending if they ended with, you know, the, the Una and La'an on the hull. Yeah. The ship flies by and then Starlight. But, you know, yeah. whatever. Well, we I, hammer I home care. again this this whole theme of you got to be honest with yourself. And and uh, yep. so, you know, Chapel is is forced to come to terms a little bit with her feelings that she hasn't really acknowledged. So. All right. We've gone we've gone a little bit long. So let's uh, power through the end here. Uh, ratings. You want to do uh, you want to go first, Ben? Uh, I'll, I'll say that, um, you know, last episode we talked about, uh, I can't remember the title of the episode, but the, the one with the, the submarine episode with them fighting the Gorn, um, Memento you know, Mori, Memento Mori. Yeah. Which I gave a six to, if you read off the, the synopsis of that episode, I would, you know, before I watched it, I, I had read the synopsis, not of like the whole thing, but just the like little blurb about what this episode's about. And I thought, oh man, you know, sign me up. This is going to be a, a great episode. I'm ready for it. And yeah, it ended up being, eh, it's okay, but it, it could have been way better. This is the total opposite. If, you know, when I read the synopsis of this one, I'm like, okay, body swap, here we go. This is going to be super lame. I was ready for this to be a bad episode. It's my favorite episode of the season so far. Uh, I'm going to give this one an eight. Um, I really, really enjoyed it. I think it just speaks to that, you know, execution is almost as important as the the idea behind the episode. Uh, this this is this idea is pretty cliche and cringy. We've seen stuff like this a million times, but it worked well to hammer home that theme of the episode of seeing things from someone else's point of view. Uh, you know, the acting was really good. There weren't any, you know, the line, the writing was good. Uh, there was a lot of good little subtle references to things um, when they weren't so subtle, like Spock's two halves fighting the writers called out that like, yeah, we know this was a bit on the nose, but you know, it, it's what we needed to do for the story. I, I really like this one. I had a great time with it. Jason, you want to go next? You want me to? Uh, I can't go real quick. I'm, I'm very similar to Ben. I, I totally loved this episode. I'm, I'm thinking this is kind of where I'm, starting to really fall in love with the the show at least the characters more um it's like it's a chill low stakes tongue-in-cheek like the the writing is so funny um and so we focus really on the characters and you know i started spock i wasn't really sold on before but i i grew to really appreciate his character in this um yeah so i I loved it i'm gonna be generous because i'll give it a nine um, because I, I just understood what they were going for with with just sort of playing playing around, having fun, and you know being legit funny. I laughed out loud multiple times, and I don't do that in Star Trek very often. So, really like you know you talked about Spock getting you know some expansion here. I like that they're letting Spock be a little bit human at times. There's a couple times in this episode where he smiles or he smirks or. You know, his his face is pretty expressive, which isn't something we're really used to seeing from Spock. You know, Leonard Nimoy played it like this guy has is has a poker face twenty four seven, 
there's a couple instances where we saw some kind of emotional reaction from Spock. Um, actually, one of the more famous ones is in Amok Time, this episode this one's referring to, where uh, in that fight with uh, Kirk, he thinks he's killed Kirk, and he's very crestfallen about this. Um, at one point, uh, when he's le- when they're leaving Vulcan, they they say, live long and prosper. And he says, I shall do neither. I have killed my captain and my friend. And it's like, oh, geez, okay. Uh, so he will not live long or prosper because of this. So the implication is maybe he's going to kill himself or something. It's like, oh, my God. Like, and then he sees that, you know, there's there's some trickery in the episode and Kirk's actually alive. So then, you know, Kirk walks into the, you know, walks onto the bridge and Spock says, you know, Jim, and has this big smile on his face. And then, oh, oh, and then immediately like has to bury that. Like, oh, I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have reacted that way. And everyone kind of, like laughs at him for mm-hmm. and this Spock is is able to emote a little bit and it not be something that's like a complete you know 180 in his character it's nice to see that they're letting his human side out a little bit yeah and it's like you said we've seen this kind of set up the body switch thing it's so cliche but they really put a unique twist because their personalities are so similar it's kind of hard to tell right and they poke fun at that but they they actually utilize the characters in a, a more in a, an impressive way like you actually get get what they're going for so yeah yeah and it, just because it's cliche doesn't mean it can't be done well and they did it well yeah I, I agree with what you guys were saying i was when i was going through the list of episodes i was like oh man i forgot about the body swap episode this is gonna suck but no i'm with ben this this is my favorite episode of the season so far this this is star trek at its best i think is when you have uh, one underlying theme that runs through, you know, two or three different plot lines, it all ties together. It's all cohesive. Um, there's not a, a lot of, you know, suspension of disbelief. The characters were great. Uh, you know, I mean, we talked about it for an hour and a half already. Uh, nine out of 10. I loved it. This is a great episode. Um, it is worth noting that in the list of, um, episode ratings, at least that I found online, this is the second highest rated episode of the entire show. So wow. um, we are probably pretty close to being uh, in agreement so with the rest of the thing. Yeah, but yeah, they killed it. The writers on this one absolutely nailed it. All right. Well, that's all I got. We've been talking for a while. We will be back uh, with episode six. All right. Just, just before we sign off, just a quick housekeeping note. Uh, you know, I accused you last time of uh, alienating our, our two viewers uh, <laughs> by referring to Star Wars instead of Star Trek. Uh, I was wrong. We have exactly two viewers, according to uh, our analytics on the various podcasting apps. So Excellent. I'll take you, it. Our two viewers are sticking with us. Are they we viewers? Appre- we are, are they you. listeners? They're listeners. That's true. Yeah, I'm using. See, now I've lost them. They're gone now. That's it. That's a debate. We we could I mean we could talk let's about table, that all let's day. Let's table that debate for now. Well, yeah. All right, signing off.